Well, as many of you probably know that we've been bouncing in and out of a series called Basics. And this is an important series for our church. We just finished a class that qualified many for membership, but more importantly, really spoke about the heartbeat of what it means to belong at Peace Mennonite Community Church, how we are a church with a bold vision to be able to love God, care for one another, and serve our world, that we are a church that values discipleship, values worshiping, connecting with one another, serving God's kingdom and living generously, giving generously to those ends. Well, in order for us to continue to work on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we've been looking through the Sermon on the Mount. So we've been going through this series called Basics, where we just look at Jesus's most profound message he ever gave an audience. And that is seen in Matthew chapter 6, called the Sermon on the Mount. And as we've been looking week to week at these different ideas that Jesus presents to these people as well as us, we've been reminded with this phrase, and I want you to help me say it if you remember it. If it's important to Jesus, it's important to us. So this whole series is a reminder of that. It's a reminder that if it's important to Jesus, it's important to us. So for that reason, we're going to continue now, and we're in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 11 today. And what I love about this is this is a passage on how to pray on how to pray. Many of you have seen or heard these words before. This is famously called the Lord's Prayer. Now, prayer is a very important thing, as you can imagine within the Christian walk, but as I think of prayer and I think of its relevance in my own life, I was reminded by a story that recently happened. You know, many of you know that I love the outdoors, I love being able to hike, I love being able to be in the mountains, and my family and I, we try to do that as often as we are able. Well, a few months ago in May, we were blessed to have many family members in town visit us for a wedding that was nearby, so we decided to show them a slice of Colorado. Many of them had never been in the Rockies before, so we thought, you know, what better plans to make than to take everybody to Rocky Mountain National Park. So we did just that. So it was Memorial Day weekend and we were taking everybody to Rocky Mountain National Park and the park was packed. I mean, it took at least an hour just to make it through uh, the front of the park. And we finally made it our way in and we were hiking a a trail near Bierstadt Mountain. And uh, it was such a wonderful time. Now, I knew there was going to be a lot of us. There was around 15, 20 of us on this hike. So I decided that I was going to take my walkie-talkies with me. And I was going to do my best to manage the group, realizing that everybody was going to be at a different pace. Some would be quicker, some would be slower. And uh, so I started to try to run between the both groups to make sure everybody was okay and checking in on the walkies. Hey, you guys doing all right? And of course, you know, everybody was doing just fine. Although my family from Florida were probably suffering the most coming from sea level and then being 9,000 feet up in the air. 
So that happened for a while, and for some reason, it just ended up happening that I ended up with two little kids on the hike. So I was with my niece, who's roughly eight years old now, and my, my son, who is four years old. Well, I was using the all-trail app, and by bouncing back and forth so many different times, we ended up by ourselves. So I was using the all-trail app, and I was looking around, and I said, okay, I think there's a route on this uh, on this app that I see here that can save me a little time and I can cut back into the group. So let's do that. So I have the little kids in tow and I'm on this trail and we're having to hop over logs and kind of slush through the snow. And I'm like, man, this is a really intense trail and it is not well kept at all so we keep going and then all of a sudden there's a stream and we're having to hop through it and I'm throwing kids across the stream and we're climbing on rocks and trying to balance ourselves over logs and I'm starting to say to myself you know I don't know if this really is a trail I'm looking at my phone it says it's a trail but I'm starting to think it's not a trail so we're 20 minutes in right now and the realization is, is that we're completely lost and that this is not a trail, or if it was a trail, it was a trail many, many years ago, and it is no longer a trail anymore. And my heart is starting to race a little bit. Because it's one thing for me to be lost on a somewhat cold day in the mountains, but it's a whole other thing if you have a four-year-old and an eight-year-old in tow. That starts to feel a little different. So I am a little panicked, but I don't want the kids to catch on to that I'm nervous. So of course, some time goes on, and I'm trying to make it fun to have to try to climb through all of these things and, and trying to get back on the trail. And I start to take my walkie and say, does anybody hear me? Does anybody hear me? And I'm doing this repeatedly for 20 minutes time. And I don't get a single response till finally when I say, is anyone there? Is anyone there? I hear back on the walkie, yep, we're here. How are you guys doing? And as you can imagine, there was a big sigh of relief. You know, it's interesting how we can feel as people the profound impact that it has when you hear somebody else's voice. When you are calling out, so to speak, in a time of need and when you're, you're finally answered. And to hear that voice while we were lost on a trail with two kids felt like a moment of release. It felt like a moment of not just release, but relief knowing that somebody could hear my voice. Prayer is much like the same. It is much like that, where we are able to offer up our heart to God, and he is able to not just hear us, but answer us in prayer. So I want to take time to look at the Lord's Prayer. There are many prayers in life that are worth praying. And in fact, many famous theologians, Christian thinkers, and really just people through the ages have written some wonderful prayers onto God. But this prayer in particular is one that Jesus had given us. And I think it bears repeating as well as thinking about. So if you would, have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 6, and we'll read now verses 9 through 11. 9 through, pardon me, 9 through 13. 
9 through 13. So hopefully, Chris, you have that for me. So if you know this prayer, I encourage you to say it with me. Um, I think we'll have the NIV on the screen. Some of you probably know it from the King James Version, and that's okay as well. So let's go ahead and read through 9.13. This, then, is how you should pray. Say it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know, this past week, I had the privilege of visiting Tynes and Eugene in the hospital. Many of you know who I'm talking about when I mention those names, but for those of you that might not know, they're Uh, somewhat elderly congregants of ours who are now in a nursing home and due to mobility issues they don't get to be here as often as they would like. So sometimes when I meet with these people I'll give them a sneak peek into what's coming on Sunday just in case they're not going to be here. I want to make sure that they get to hear a little bit about what's going on and what's going to happen on Sunday. So I remember telling both Tynes and Eugene these passages, and of course, even well into their age, they could recite it perfectly. And I'm always impressed with Tynes, who I believe is 98 now, in the fact that she can still recite this verse perfectly. So Eugene and Tynes, they both are able to recite this verse, and I asked Eugene specifically, I said, why do you think Jesus had us pray this prayer? Why is it that he said it this way? And without skipping a beat, he says, because it shows to us a pattern of what prayer ought to look like. And it made me so happy to know that he can answer with such profound truth, even in the state of life that he's in right now. And that's why I believe Jesus called us to pray in this way. Because if you didn't know, this prayer reveals a pattern of truth that we ought to pray in life. Now, here's here's my honest opinion. It would take a five-week series to really dive deep into this prayer. Well, isn't it wonderful? We did a five-week series this year on this prayer. So maybe some things are ringing a bell for you. So if you really want to dive deep in the Lord's Prayer, I encourage you to listen to our podcast where we have a five-week series available on the Lord's Prayer. But what the Lord's Prayer is able to do is it's really able to help us see the posture that we ought to have as people who pray. Because you see, for us, it's so easy. I mean, think about it, right? It's so easy for, when, for us to approach prayer as a time of just asking God for what we want, right? I mean, if you think about it, most of the times that we pray, it's often because there is a felt need in our lives that we want to ask God for his help in. Now, is that wrong to go to God with these needs? No, it's not wrong at all. But what Jesus shows us in the Lord's Prayer is much more than just going to God with our needs. 
He's trying to reveal to us the pattern and posture of our hearts. Because here's the thing, church, our posture and the way that we think and the way that we approach God matters. Say this with me, our posture matters. Our posture matters because it helps shape the way that we respond to God and not just respond to God, but respond to others. That's why it's so important, and maybe you're a younger person in the room. If you, uh, you know, I'm looking really at you, Austin and Grayson, right now. Your parents want you to think certain thoughts and say certain things in a certain way, not just because they're cruel, but because they're trying to help shape your mind. I know that's hard to believe, but that is, there's a reason why your parents at time say please say your please and thank yous. Please make sure that you're doing this. Do not respond in this way. Because if you don't, then your mind might be shaped and formed to respond to things in an inappropriate way. I think my, the parents in the room are saying amen right now. <laughs> So in the same way, Jesus is trying to help shape our minds to have a certain posture when it comes to prayer, but not just prayer, but life. If you didn't know, the Lord's Prayer actually comes up in two, or two portions of the Gospels. It comes up in the Gospel of Matthew as well as the Gospel of Luke. Now, both of those instances that it comes up in are generally similar with just a few little differences. So it's very likely that Jesus shared this prayer on multiple occasions. One, privately with his disciples, and then two, on the Sermon on the Mount. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount portion. However, what's really interesting is is the ways that Jesus shares these prayers within Scripture actually reveal a deeper meaning to what prayer ought to look like. So I want to read for you once more the opening portion of this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name, our Father in heaven. Notice how Luke introduces this prayer. What does it say? Say it if you know it. Father. So what's missing there? Our and in heaven. You might think by just reading that quickly that somehow Luke is shortchanging you, right? That Matthew is doing a better job at being elegant and that Luke is rushing the opening. But in reality, what Jesus is doing here is actually amazing. It's really amazing, and I don't want you to miss this right now. You see, Jesus gives this prayer twice within Scripture that we see, but because we're reading it in English, we lose some of its impact. You see, what Jesus does in the Gospel of Luke is when he says, Father, he uses the Hebrew word, Abba, Abba. 
And for those that do not know what Abba means, Abba basically means within our own language, Daddy. Daddy. So what you're seeing here between the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke is actually two interesting ways to look at God. That when they come together, it shows a better picture of how our minds ought to think of God. Matthew wants us to see God as the king, as the one who is transcendent, as the one who is there out in the the heavenly realms, who is the God overall, who is the God who can govern lives, who is the God who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? It is good to see God as king. It is good to see God as Lord. Why? Because when you are in the pits of despair, when you are in a situation where you can't feel orientation in life because for whatever reason things are crashing down, it is good to be reminded that God is king. That he has the power to sustain, that he has the power to get you through life circumstances. You know, as you know, I am a graduate of Denver Seminary, and I have the wonderful privilege of, through that experience, making friends with a lot of local pastors. And a pastor friend of mine this week sent me an article, and It was one of those articles where, honestly, I just didn't want to read it. I didn't want to read it, not because it wasn't a good article, but because it was discouraging in very many ways. And what the article was about, it was a recently published article about how uh, this pastor was resigning from the pastorate. How if you didn't know, right now in our time period, at least within the Western world and specifically within America, there is what's being called an exodus of pastors. Pastors who are so worn out from COVID, who are worn out from the condition of our society, who are just worn out from ministry. So this pastor, who is a pretty good writer himself, decided to share his experience on why he's deciding to step down from the pastorate. And, you know, I don't want to read things like this sometimes. Why? Because, you know, I'm still here. I'm still trying to fight. I'm still trying to do what God, I believe, is calling me to do. And sure, ministry can be really hard. Now, don't get me wrong. I don't want to disparage pastors who have chosen that path or don't want to disparage those that are trying to communicate some honest conversations that probably ought to happen with our expectations of church, not just as a pastor, but as a congregant. Hopefully, if you come to Peace Mennonite Community Church, you know that Sundays are more about empowering you to then go and be the hands and feet of Jesus out in the world. It's not about me trying to be the professional here. This is encouragement time. This is family time. This is empowerment time. But it, throughout the whole article, I'm, re, I'm reading reason after reason of why, you know, he's leaving. Why he's leaving, why the church is hard on pastors, and, and so on and so forth. And my friend wants to know my opinion. He pastors a church. He'll actually be preaching here in a month from now. And he wants to know my opinion, what I think of the article. 
And all I could tell him is, is, you know, the pastor brings up a lot of great points on why ministry is hard. But nowhere in the article do I see any fingerprints about how God calls, empowers, and sustains. See, God is the one who calls, he's the one who empowers, and he's the one who sustains. And it is helpful, and I believe it's because I know the Lord's Prayer, that I'm reminded of that. That my God is a big God. That oftentimes my grandfather would remind me of these words, big problems, bigger God. And my God is the one who can call me, he's the one who can empower me, and he's the one who will sustain me, amen? And he does that for each and every single one of us. So that's why I believe Jesus wants us to recognize God for who he is. Which is why we say, our Father who art in heaven, because he is the God who is over all. Amen? But here's the beautiful thing. Luke, and when Jesus speaks the Lord's Prayer there, he uses the term, Daddy. And you know, sometimes, for some people, they might be able to see God as Lord over all, but for that same reason, they also might struggle to see God as Father, as Daddy, as the one who you can go to for even the smallest needs of life. I know some people, and some people very close to me, who sometimes struggle to ask God's intervention in their life because they feel like they're not worthy of it. They feel like there are bigger problems for God to take care of. Why would they bother God with their small things? And here we see within the Lord's Prayer that Jesus wants us to view God as Daddy. And here's the thing, church. I think some of you are probably doing an excellent job at viewing God as daddy. And you pray to God, and you say daddy, you say father, and you look at him like that. But you struggle with seeing God as Lord and King over all. And in the, the flip side of that, there's some of you that probably sees God as the magisterial king, as the one who one day is going to come back and he's going to put an end to things. And he's not just going to be king, but he's going to be judge. He's going to be all of these grand and wonderful things that we desire and we proclaim as a church. But you struggle to see God as daddy. Here's the truth, church. You need to see God as both. God is both king as well as daddy. And we all need to be challenged with that perspective of seeing God in that way. Can you see why we spent five weeks? Because honestly, I can keep preaching on this right now. (laughs) So I encourage you to listen to that series that we did earlier this year. But what does Matthew continue to do within this Lord's Prayer? What does Jesus continue to teach us here? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that might not seem very special to you. This idea of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But it is so important 
for us to be able to understand well what that means. Because here's the truth, church. There is a real kingdom of God out there. And guess what? God is calling you to be a part of that kingdom. And here's another one of those wonderful juxtapositions that we see within Scripture. That just like God is king and daddy, in the similar way, there is a kingdom of God that's realized here on this earth that will ultimately be realized when? In the ends of time. And that's the, the, the kind of almost paradox of what life is supposed to look like, that there are slices of heaven and slices of hell that we experience on this earth, and you know when you experience one or the other, right? But guess what we get to be? We get to be a part of promoting God's kingdom. What is God's kingdom? God's kingdom is wrapped up in the gospel. See, the wonderful thing about Jesus was that he not only got to proclaim God's kingdom as the great messenger who would do that, but he was God's kingdom. And what is God's kingdom? It's restored relationship with Jesus. It's restored relationship with the Father, with the Spirit of God. It's being able to live life with the freedom of God within us. And that is what this world desperately needs. So when we pray for God's kingdom, we're both praying for that ends of time, in revelation, kingdom of God to be established, for Jesus to come back and put an end to the world the way that we see it and the chaos that is here. But it's also praying that we, the church, can be God's kingdom to the world right now. I struggle with this church because I think we live in a very individualistic society, do we not? We live in a society that makes it so hard for us to see ourselves as collective. You see, we're Peace Mennonite Community Church not just because we're an organization, but because we see ourselves as a collective of God's people. If you come to this church, we're going to ask stuff of you. We're going to ask you to be a part of what we're doing. Why? Because we believe in the work that God is doing. And we want everybody who walks through these doors to be a part of God's work. Amen? And his work is not just my work. His work is not just the elders' work or the worship team's work or whomever is volunteering right now in order for us to actually have a service. His work is all of us, whether you're younger in age or whether you're more advanced in your years. You know, I love it when I hear stories of how people within the church try to be the church to others. So, again, just to use Tynes as an example this week, how many boxes did Tynes sell? 14 boxes <laughs> at 98 years old. 14 boxes. I mean, if she was here, I would just be giving her a round of applause. That's 
That's being the kingdom of God to others. And sure, it's a fundraiser, but it's a fundraiser, and if you know Tynes, you know that she's sharing her love with others. That's what it's about to be the kingdom of God. So I have a question for you then. Do people see the kingdom of God through your life? When they meet you, are they really meeting the kingdom of God or are they just meeting Kevin, you know? Do you get what I mean by that? Are they really meeting the, what I am about? I mean, you can imagine what it's like to be rescued or what it's like to be in a war-torn country than to be greeted by somebody who you know represents a kingdom that has come to rescue you. Do people feel that way about your life? Are you about bringing God's kingdom down here on this earth and being a part of the good movement we are to be a part of? So not just that, but when we pray, what else are we ought to do here? Let's keep reading. Give us our day, our daily bread. This is so simple but yet so beautiful and important that our daily posture within life is supposed to be one where we look to God as our sustainer. You know, what Jesus is actually doing here is he's actually quoting back to the people the Old Testament. He's reminding them of the times where he was present with the people who were wandering around in the wilderness, who were without food and needed manna from heaven or bread from heaven to sustain them. And we also need to live within that posture that man does not live by bread alone, but by what? But by the word of God, that Jesus is the bread of life. Do you look to God in need? You know, one of the greatest blessings, but could also be one of the, the, the biggest struggles within life, is being comfortable. I mean, if you think about it, right, we all like to be comfortable. We get in the car and it's hot, what do we do? We turn on the AC. We get in the car and it's cold, what do we do? We turn on the heater because we want it to be that perfect 72.5 degrees. I don't know, maybe you're more of a 68 kind of person or I'm kind of in the 68 range. I don't know where you are. But we climb and control everything within life, right? Because we want things to be comfortable. But sometimes in the pursuit of comfort, we lose dependency on God, right? I mean, how many of you know of somebody, and you don't have to raise your hand, especially if they're sitting next to you, of people who they gain more wealth or status in life, and with that, they turn into worse people. Why? Because there's something that is lost in having need. And it is a good thing, believe it or not, to be reminded that we have need in who? In our Heavenly Father. And it doesn't matter how poor we are or how wealthy we are. We all need our daily bread from God. So when we pray, we pray with that perspective of God, give us your daily bread. And it doesn't just stop there, but it says this, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. I love this. And this point cannot be overemphasized. 
And it's something that I've preached on many times within this church, that in order to receive forgiveness, we need to do what? Give forgiveness. You see, forgiveness comes from God. But it is a very odd thing to be forgiven and but yet never uh, ever give forgiveness out to others. C.S. Lewis puts it like this. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Sometimes in life, in order to receive the forgiveness we desire, we need to extend the forgiveness to others as well. It's a gift. Grace is a gift, and God's forgiveness is a gift. And he's calling us to share that gift with others. I cannot tell you enough how I've seen people transformed through just this simple act of saying those words, I forgive you. Those three words can oftentimes be more powerful than any form of of really anything we've ever seen in this world. I forgive you. Jesus ends his prayer by saying these words, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now this text is probably the most debated one out of the whole list. Why? Well, because it would be a misunderstanding to assume that God leads us into temptation. In fact, Scripture is really clear that the Lord does not tempt anyone. But what this verse is trying to communicate is is that we need to have a posture mindful of the pitfalls and the temptations of life that we can find ourselves in. And that it is good and healthy to prepare, to pray in a way that asks God to help steward our lives so that we don't get off the path. Amen? But not just that, but to recognize that there is an enemy. You know, one of the greatest accomplishments the enemy has ever given or ever, ever won is to just not believe in him. We need to realize that there is an enemy out there who is trying to steal, kill, and destroy us. And being more mindful of that helps us do what? Fight that well. So when we pray, and I'll show you this chart I made for you on the screen. We need to realize the pattern that God is calling us to. That this is a prayer that we can repeat and just say the Lord's Prayer as it is, but it's also the posture of how we are to pray in life regardless. That thinking these kinds of thoughts shapes our minds for the better. That when we pray our Father, that we're seeing God as King and Daddy. That when we say, hallowed be thy name, that we're treating God as holy. That when we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we desire and bring forth God's good kingdom and we yield our lives to his. That when we say, give us today our daily bread, we look at God as our sustainer. Forgive us our debts. 
we do what? We look to God as the forgiver of our sins, but we also extend forgiveness to others. And just as we said, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, we recognize the real battle we find ourselves in. So church, I invite you this week that when you pray, you consider these words and maybe even challenge yourself to say these words in a different way. But to see all of these important truths that Jesus wants us to speak and to say on a daily basis. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the goodness that you bring into our lives. We thank you for how you taught us to pray. And I ask, Lord, that you would continue to move in us and change our perspective for the better so that we can be a people that is about your kingdom, that we can be a people that is about doing your good works, seeing you for who you are, Lord, we ask that in Jesus' name, amen.